0: This is the History of the World podcast, with me, Chris Hasler. And you're listening to Volume 3, The Classical World. Episode 28, The Punic Wars, Part 2. Is 221 BCE. Hasdrubal the Fair was the main military commander of Carthaginian forces in Iberia. He had taken the reins from his father in law Hamilcar Barca, the great Carthaginian commander, who was in constant defiance of the imperious Romans despite Carthaginian defeats. Hastrobel was responsible for negotiating a deal with the Romans where the Carthaginians would be allowed the freedom to subjugate the lands of the Iberian Peninsula south of the Ebro River. Anything to the north was too close to the Romans and therefore not fair game. The Carthaginians were desperate to gather some wealth and this would be at the expense of the Celtiberians of the Iberian Peninsula. The Carthaginians needed to take these lands in order to gather enough wealth to pay repatriation costs to the Romans following their defeat in Sicily at the conclusion of the First Punic War back in 241 BCE. The Celtiberians did not particularly enjoy having Carthaginians invade their lands and take their wealth. Hastrabal the Fair paid the ultimate price for Carthaginian behaviour. Hastrabal was in the city of Carat Hadashat, a city which he founded. Now we have to be very careful here. Carat Hadashat was the Carthaginian name for the city of Carthage, the capital city of the Carthaginian Empire in the modern country of Tunisia. Hestrabel built another city in Iberia and called it Carat too. II. This would lead to the Romans calling the city New Carthage to distinguish it, and today we call it Cartagena. We mentioned Cartagena. Way back in episode 8 of volume 1, when discussing the migration of early species of hominins migrating from North Africa to Iberia, as the municipality where the cave called La Cueva Victoria was found to contain hominin bones over 1 million years old. Now, over 1 million years later, we find a new connection between North Africa and Iberia with the Carthaginians establishing a new city of Carthage and it was in this city that a Celtic mercenary possibly a slave of a Celt-Iberian king killed by the Carthaginians assassinated Hasdrubal the Fair. Command of the Carthaginian army in Iberia passed to Hasdrubal's brother-in-law the son of barca and his name Was Hannibal. Hannibal's story is one of the more famous stories of an individual during the Roman era. His story begins where we left off last week, with the Iberian city of Saguntum. Saguntum was a considerable distance south of the Ebro River, which was determined to be the agreed limit of Carthaginian influence. Saguntum was a Celt Iberian city that didn't fully appreciate the Carthaginians being involved in their affairs, and they may have turned to Rome to protect their wealth. The Romans responded to Saguntum, and Hannibal Barker was far from impressed. Saguntum was almost a hundred miles south of the Ebro River and was therefore fair game. So Hannibal decided to besiege Saguntum in response during the second half of 219 BCE. The Romans were not in a good position to interfere in this siege directly so they sent ambassadors to Carthage and the ambassadors were entertained and then sent back to Rome again with a defiant Carthaginian message. Saguntum fell to the Carthaginians after a few months and a brutal battle. And the snub of the Roman ambassadors led to the Romans demanding Hannibal himself be surrendered to the Romans. And the Carthaginians refused, sparking the beginning of the Second Punic War. Hannibal Barca, Hannibal would set about gathering an army the size of the army is argued and I have seen numbers from 40,000 to 100,000 offered. Strangely, when investigating the number of elephants in Hannibal's army we seem to always hit the specific number of 37 from most sources. The makeup of the Carthaginian army is also interesting. Libyan foot soldiers are mentioned and when we look at the Libyans They may have been a mixture of local Berbers and Greek immigrants to North Africa, as it was in the Libyan lands that the Greek colony of Cyrene was established. Also among the Carthaginian army were Numidian horsemen. The Numidians were the Berbers who lived on the North African coast of the modern day country of Algeria, and as such they had developed strong diplomatic ties with their Carthaginian neighbours. There would have almost certainly been a good deal of Celtiberian mercenaries wanting to be on the winning side and believing that this would be Hannibal's Carthaginians. Despite the problem from the Carthaginian perspective being Roman interference in politics south of the river Ebro, Hannibal would lead his Carthaginian army of tens of thousands north over the River Ebro and into Forbidden Lands on their way toward the modern lands of Italy. The route would require the Carthaginians to negotiate the Pyrenees Mountains, the lands of the Gauls and the Alps Mountains. Crossing the Alps, would have been seemingly impossible with it being such a severe range of mountains. The legend of Hannibal crossing the Alps is the lasting legacy of this episode in history, but in reality it was only part of this whole journey of attrition which was made in haste before the Romans could attack first. Not everybody survived the journey. Significant losses affected the Carthaginian force as they initially crossed the Pyrenees and arrived in the lands of the south of the modern day country of France. So the famous story is of Hannibal crossing the Alps but this is just one part of an extremely arduous journey from the Iberian lands south of the Ebro to the imperial lands of the Roman Republic. At every juncture, whether it be the lands around the Pyrenees or the Gallic lands of southern France, Hannibal's army would face attack from local tribes and so Hannibal would spend significant time reshaping his army, even sending some units back to Carthaginian Iberia. It wasn't all against Hannibal though as there would have been a fair share of tribes who were happy to support Hannibal's campaign especially if they felt no loyalty to the Romans. So Hannibal would have not had much idea as to whether the next society of people that he encountered would have been friend or foe. The next geographical obstacle that Hannibal would have needed to negotiate would have been the Rhone River. There Hannibal would encounter Celtic tribes supportive of the Romans near the coastal Greek colony city of Massalia, which is the modern French city of Marseille. The Celts were more specifically the Volci, who were a Gallic entity who had been involved in Greek affairs earlier in the century and were now being commissioned by the Romans to prevent the progress of Hannibal. The Rhone River was a considerable crossing, And with the Volki actively trying to prevent the crossing, it raises the question, what about the famous elephants? Did Hannibal have to find a way to transport the elephants over the river? Or were the elephants transported to the eastern side of the Rhône by sea? Livy says that some of the elephants fell into the Rhône and had to swim to safety. Either way, Hannibal was victorious over the Valky at the Battle of the Rhone Crossing, showing a canny tactical approach that outwitted his opponents. With the Rhone River behind him, Hannibal pressed onwards towards the Alps. Already, Hannibal had lost a large amount of his army, but somehow, during this hard journey, which was only going to get harder, Hannibal managed to keep the remainder of his army motivated to continue. Hannibal's alpine route is fiercely debated, but we know that the Alps had to be navigated across. The journey through the Alps is something that has become mythologised, capturing the imagination of many artists who've created dramatic depictions of armies accompanied by elephants attempting to march along improbable mountain passes perilously close to a deadly fall over the edge. In reality, this crossing would have been treacherous to say the least with icy cold conditions and slippery surfaces. Despite being younger than 30 years old at the time, Hannibal must have been a trusted leader and a man promising the rewards that should accompany a conquest of the Roman Republic. The procession continued despite the fact that it was apparent that not everybody would survive. Reports suggest that Hannibal's army had to actually rebuild some of the pass that had fallen into a state of damage. Another Gallic tribe called the Allobroges would have attacked the weakened and hungry Carthaginians during the crossing, but somehow... Hannibal was able to overcome this. When Hannibal emerged on the eastern side of the Alps with a fraction of his original army but according to some accounts with the same 37 elephants some of the Gallic tribes felt that Hannibal was worth their respect and even worth standing alongside in the face of the Romans. It was now December of 218 BCE and Hannibal was successfully across the Alps and at the north of the Italian peninsula. It could be fair to say that the Romans were not expecting Hannibal to emerge from his Alpine journey in any position to fight, but the Romans would know that they needed to deal with the Hannibal problem directly, and sent a force under the command of the Roman consul Tiberius Sempronius Longus to engage Hannibal in a battle at the confluence of the Trebia and Po rivers. The ensuing battle is known as the Battle of the Trebia, and the Roman naivety and underestimation of Hannibal allowed Hannibal to outwit the Romans and score a huge victory, with more than half of the Roman army being lost to the Carthaginian alliance. Hannibal now had the Romans full attention. So this is the story of how Hannibal crossed the Alps but Hannibal's intention when he set out wasn't to successfully cross the Alps in some test of endurance. The crossing was simply one part of a mission to invade and weaken the Roman Republic. So Hannibal had only just begun There was no way that Hannibal could cause significant problems for the Romans without enticing local societies to join his cause and he would have been relying on this fact. Hannibal's victories in the north of the peninsula such as the Battle of the Trebia opened up a doorway into the lands of the Republic itself. Hannibal could now campaign directly towards Rome itself. But initially, he would need to negotiate the lands of Etruria, which were inhabited by Romanized Etruscans. So Hannibal would lead his army southwards until almost reaching Lake Trasimene in the summer of 217 BCE. The Roman army would be pursuing Hannibal and Hannibal would be aware of this So upon reaching the lake, Hannibal would light false campfires some distance away to fool the Romans into believing the location of the Carthaginian army was somewhere it wasn't. It was a trap, and in the misty conditions, as the Romans made their way along the northern edge of the lake, the Carthaginians appeared from the forests and ambushed their enemy. The Roman army was estimated to be about 30,000 strong, so it is quite a considerable thing that it was ambushed. It took almost four hours for the Carthaginians to destroy the Roman army, with their commander, the consul Gaius Flaminius, losing his own life in the process. The remaining Romans retreated, and Carthaginians, under the command of Hannibal, were now scoring victories well within Roman territory. This was unthinkable just a couple of years earlier. Hannibal could have attacked Rome following his victory at Lake Trasimene, but instead he decided to rally up more willing allies from within the lands of the Roman Republic. So Hannibal headed south towards the lands of Magna Grecia and the Romans stayed in hot pursuit they did not want to give Hannibal any kind of opportunity to be able to settle anywhere within the Republic. Should Hannibal be allowed to settle, he may have created a power base in which he could start recruiting societies who believed that defecting to Hannibal would be advantageous considering how formidable he appeared to be. The Romans frantically built up a brand new army force in order to take on the Carthaginians And in 216 BCE, the two sides met again at Cannae. What happened at Cannae in the year 216 BCE would go down as the single most deadliest day in the history of European lands. Hannibal managed to sustain an army strength of around 50,000 but estimates of a Roman army number are thought to have been in excess of 85,000. The Romans had had enough of the Carthaginians and had decided to put an end to this problem once and for all. The Roman army was led by the two Roman consuls, Gaius Terentius Varro and Lucius Aemilius Paullus. What followed was one of the most astonishing days of the entire 1st millennium BCE. The huge Roman army attacked the Carthaginians. Once again Hannibal demonstrated that he was a master tactician equal to the threat of the Romans. You could argue that Hannibal's tactical expertise was worth thousands of soldiers on its own. Hannibal's Carthaginian army, still made up from various ethnicities, would entice the Roman infantry to act down the centre of the army formations, when Hannibal would use his cavalry to push the Roman cavalry back into an ineffective position so that the Roman infantry could be surrounded and brutally massacred. Estimates of over 45,000 Roman soldiers were killed. Hannibal would have undoubtedly have made his father, Hamilcar Barca, incredibly proud. Hamilcar had always been defiant of the Romans and was too stubborn to negotiate the peace terms after the Carthaginian defeat at the end of the First Punic War. Now his own son had marched into Roman territory and given them a taste of their own medicine. And thanks to these amazing victories against the odds, Hannibal could now consider conquering the entire Roman Republic. Roman cities and provinces started defecting to Carthage, meaning that now Carthage had influence over a significant amount of territory on the Italian peninsula itself, including the very important city of Capua. Hannibal was now in a position to be considerate about his next action within these relatively safe lands. One of the more attractive targets for Hannibal's ambitions was the port city of Tarentum, which once was an enemy of Rome, but now a loyal ally. While Hannibal was trying to secure these cities in the southern extremities of the Italian peninsula, the Romans saw an opportunity to target the city of Capua in Campania, laying it under siege. They were punishing the city for siding with the enemy, after demanding that one of the Roman consuls be a Capua resident. Roman Backlash The Romans had to come up with a new plan of action to deal with the Carthaginian threat, under the extremely capable leadership of Hannibal Barker, who seemingly had outwitted the Romans against the odds at every juncture. Part of this new plan would be to besiege the very important city of Capua, which existed in a part of the Italian peninsula which had defected to the Carthaginian side. The other part of the plan would be to do exactly as Carthage had done and send a very capable military force into the heart of Carthaginian territory to cause the kind of mayhem that Hannibal had been doing in Roman territory. At the time, Rome was also involved in the First Macedonian War against Philip V of Macedon, and Rome realised that despite having problems with Hannibal, that they could not afford to allow Philip and Hannibal to strike up an alliance so it was important for the Romans to continue their aggressions in the Balkan Peninsula. Fortunately for the Romans, they had enough allies in Greek lands to assist them in their campaigns there, so the Romans could continue to besiege Capua, while Hannibal was busy attempting to gain the support of Magna Graecia cities such as Tarentum. Hannibal decided not to attack the Romans at Capua, but instead... He chose to attack Rome itself in order to entice the Romans away from Capua. The Romans seemingly knew what Hannibal's game was and ignored him, having confidence in Rome's ability to defend itself. They continued to starve Capua. This was a battle against wills and a test of wit and nerve for both sides. The Roman decision to keep up the siege was the right one. Capua fell and Hannibal had been uncharacteristically unsuccessful in his tactical choice. As could be expected, the Romans showed no mercy to Capua and its residents. Capua was stripped of any kind of autonomy, with much of its secular power and departments removed or abolished and ceded to Rome. Citizens were either slaughtered or stripped of their civil rights. Interestingly as well, we can also tie up a story from episode 22. If you remember, we spoke of Archimedes who was born in Syracuse and who was alive around this time. Syracuse was an independent kingdom of Sicily, which had been subdued by the Romans during the First Punic War, earlier in the 3rd century BCE. The Syracusan king Hiero II had died in 215 BCE, and the Syracusans decided that now was a good time to associate themselves with the Carthaginians again, and this caused the Romans' to besiege Syracuse Eventually Syracuse fell to the Romans in 212 BCE despite the Syracusans using the Archimedes Claw which was an innovative construction that was able to topple and sink Roman galleys and you can find out more about this contraption by listening to episode 22 about Hellenistic cultures Archimedes would actually lose his life after the siege was completed, much to the disappointment of many who saw the loss of his genius as a huge blow. So by 210 BCE, Rome had taken complete control of Sicily and Hannibal was confined to an area in the south of the Italian peninsula. As mentioned previously, the Romans had now started a campaign in Iberia to try and debilitate the Carthaginian Empire in general. During the 210s, while Hannibal was causing havoc in Italy, the Scipio brothers of Rome had travelled to Iberia and secured the lands north of the Ebro River, denying the Carthaginians the same land route to Italy that Hannibal had exploited. Despite successful incursions into Carthaginian-ruled Iberian territory, it would be Hannibal's younger brother, Hasdrubal Barca, who would score a huge victory over the Romans in the south of Iberia at the Battle of Upper Betis, which was actually two closely linked separate military exchanges in 211 BCE, and both of the Scipio brothers were killed, bringing one of their sons, Publius, Cornelius Scipius Africanus to the command of the Roman army in Iberia. We will refer to him as Scipio. Scipio would avenge the defeat and deaths of his father and his uncle by taking the city of New Carthage or Carthago Nova as the Romans called it in 209 BCE. He slaughtered the population in a treatment reminiscent of the Roman treatment of the city of Capua two years earlier. So both sides were using terror tactics to scare these societies into the ultimate submission. Hasdrubal Barca then decided to take reinforcements from the Iberian Peninsula to his brother Hannibal, who was still in the Italian Peninsula, somewhat entrapped in an area of land south of Rome. These reinforcements would consist of more war elephants and the journey would be similar to that of Hannibal's before him. Hasdrubal would cross the Pyrenees, southern Gallic lands and the Alps. So although Hannibal's story of the crossing of the Alps has survived throughout the centuries to become a wonderful historic tale in the modern age, his brother's same accomplishment has been forgotten. This is because Hannibal was the first to do it and Hastrobel could simply use the same constructed paths that his brother had left and the Gallic Celts that he met along the way showed him no hostility as they had towards Hannibal. Hastrobel would opt to use the eastern coastal route down the Italian peninsula in order to reach his brother Hannibal with some useful reinforcements. However, the Romans were fully aware of the value of preventing this link-up and sent an army to apprehend Hasdrubal's approach. The result was the Battle of the Metaurus in 207 BCE, where the surprised Hasdrubal was defeated by the clever Romans, who were now enjoying the good fortune that had eluded them in the previous decade when Hannibal first arrived. There are records of Hasdrubal Barker being beheaded and his head being taken to his brother Hannibal who would have been hoping for the arrival of something different. Hasdrubal's failure to successfully bring reinforcements to Hannibal was a crushing blow to the Carthaginians Hannibal was now limited in what he could achieve and would have been fearing that the Romans would be restrengthening their forces in order to eliminate Hannibal from the Italian peninsula altogether. The Roman commander Scipio in Iberia did not pursue Hasdrubal Barca when he left Iberia and instead he stayed in Iberia to continue battling the Carthaginians there. It eventually proved to be the right decision. The culmination of the Iberian conflicts between Carthage and Rome played out in the year 206 BCE at the Battle of Elipa. Estimates of the army sizes are in excess of 50,000 individuals each so this is yet another huge exchange in what was seemingly a list of unbelievably huge battles. Scipio would demonstrate a tactical genius that is comparable to Hannibal's great victory at Lake Trasimene. This time it was the Carthaginian army who were deceived resulting in a huge massacre. This defeat of the Carthaginians meant that the Romans had successfully run the Carthaginians out of Iberia and back to North Africa. Scipio could now return to Rome where his ultimate victory over the Carthaginians in Iberia could be celebrated some of Hannibal's allies in southern Italy were turning against him and it must have felt like the walls were closing in africa scipio was made into a roman consul in 205 bce and due to the confidence that the Romans had in him, he was made a proconsul after his one year term as consul had expired. Proconsuls were appointed to enable the Romans the ability to keep valued consuls in a position of influence. Scipio's ambition was to travel across the Mediterranean to Carthage itself and defeat the Carthaginians in North Africa. In North Africa the Carthaginians were living alongside Berber tribes called the Numidians and these Numidians could be separated into eastern and western Numidians. The eastern and western Numidians didn't really get on with each other and both sets of tribes would switch their allegiance between Rome and Carthage depending on what suited them best at the time. Carthage was so concerned about the threat of Scipio and the Romans that they had to recall Hannibal back from the Italian peninsula which allowed the Romans to reclaim all of their Italian territories as well as now being in control of all the former possessions of Carthage in Iberia. Carthage was not willing to agree to Scipio's peace terms and they needed Hannibal to help to defend their heartlands. The Romans would successfully unite the two sets of tribes of Numidia and make the pro-Roman leader of the western Numidians, a man called Massanissa, the first king of the kingdom of Numidia, which would be an African ally to the Romans against Carthage. The Romans under the command of Scipio, and allied with the Numidians under the command of Massanissa Squared off against the Carthaginians under the command of Hannibal at the decisive Battle of Zama in 202 BCE at an inland location in the modern day country of Tunisia. Both sides may have had around 40,000 strong armies but Carthaginians had their war elephants as well. It appears that the Romans had a stronger cavalry presence. Hannibal would firstly employ the elephants to advance against his opponents and the Romans were able to soak up this attack and counter-attack effectively, cutting through the lines of the Carthaginian infantry. The Carthaginian Reserve Corps of veterans were able to hold up the Romans from advancing further, but at this point Hannibal was outwitted when the Romans and Numidians were able to sweep round the back of the carthaginians and attack them from the rear the result was a major defeat for the once mighty hannibal and the city of carthage rome had at long last defeated carthage carthage had lost all territory outside of north africa and all of its naval fleet to the romans they would be denied the right to involve themselves in any foreign affairs, therefore becoming somewhat powerless. Repatriations would ensure that Carthage would never be allowed to grow again. And the Roman policy regarding Carthage after the Second Punic War would be to deny them any free will to expand or any ability to settle their debt, denoting the Roman desire to keep Carthage down it is this victory that earned Scipio his name Scipio Africanus and he returned to Rome as a hero Scipio may have been a bit of a larger than life character with there being many rumours of financial irregularities involving him and his family that when the Romans attempted to bring him to trial Scipio would somehow worm his way out by leaning ...on his popularity as a Roman hero. Eventually, Scipio would retire from politics... ...possibly at around the age of 50. He lived out his final years in Campania... ...away from the city of Rome... ...where despite his popularity as a hero... ...he felt betrayed by the elite of his fatherland... ...believing that he had earned his legal immunity... Hannibal was still highly respected by the Carthaginians, and it does also appear that he was somewhat respected in later life by Scipio, who, as a fellow military leader, would have likely been in admiration of what Hannibal had achieved during his lifetime. Hannibal was almost 50 when the Second Punic War concluded, and the Romans were always quite concerned about having such a popular and capable leader and enemy of the Romans. Alive in Carthage. As a result, Hannibal was forced to leave his political post in the city of Carthage and fled to the Seleucid Empire in Asia. Hannibal would forever be an enemy of the Romans as his father Hamilcar Barca had taught him from a young age that Rome must be destroyed. So Hannibal was more than happy to lead. Seleucid military exchanges against the Romans during their conflicts but Hannibal's capture would always be an ultimate trophy for the Romans and so Hannibal would always fear being betrayed by the ruler of the lands that he was in as his life alone was a talisman. We don't really know if Hannibal took his own life while living in Bithynia in northern Anatolia to prevent the Romans from ever taking him alive. But his death would have been around the same time as Scipio's. So that leaves us with one last character from this episode, and that man is the king of Numidia, the man who helped Scipio win that final battle against Hannibal at Zama, King Massinissa. Masinissa would reign over a protected kingdom right up until his death at around the age of 90 in 148 BCE, over 50 years after that fateful Battle of Zama. Masinissa would tease the remnants of Carthage by trying to steal parts of its territory, believing that the Romans would always stand alongside him if the Carthaginians wanted to get nasty about it. The mighty and proud Carthaginians were now a powerless and embarrassed little kingdom, a small shadow of its former self, and an extremely bitter remainder of the empire that almost completely defeated the Roman Republic. For them now to be getting bullied by a Berber nation with no international reputation was all too much for them. So the Carthaginians raised an army against them and despite the instruction of the Roman Treaty they planned to fight back against Massinissa's Numidian kingdom. In the year 151 BCE the Carthaginians had honoured the 50 year repatriation period to Rome and decided that they wanted to raise an army against the King Massinissa's Numidians. The Carthaginians were not successful against the Numidians and the Romans decided that they would disapprove of Carthage raising an army, not something permitted by the Treaty of 201 BCE, but also something that Carthage believed to be an expired treaty. For Rome, it was suitable for them to have an excuse to eliminate Carthage as it would put the resources of the Carthaginian heartlands to good use, So the Romans besieged Carthage in 149 BCE in something that has been called the Third Punic War. King Masinissa of Numidia would not see the outcome of the siege due to his own death in 148 BCE. Carthage was well fortified and bravely defended, so the siege took 3 years it was 146 BCE when the siege came to an end the romans were finally able to breach the city walls the romans rounded up 50,000 carthaginian inhabitants and marched them off into a life of slavery 900 carthaginian resistors retired to a temple and set it ablaze, preferring this fate to what could befall them under the Romans. The city itself was plundered of all of its wealth, before all of the buildings were destroyed until not a single one was left standing. Apart from the 50,000 slaves, the entire population was killed. Fire engulfed the ruins of what the Romans had left behind, and before leaving, the Romans would salt the earth to prevent any kind of agricultural revival of the land. Carthage had been completely and utterly destroyed and was just a memory thanks to the might of the Romans. Well, for me, that was one of the more fascinating stories that we've had during the entire history of this podcast. The Punic Wars was a real battle of the two mightiest, mightiest empires of the Mediterranean, and they were bound to clash at some point, and the entire battle played out. And eventually, eventually, because of there being such bitterness between the two parties, one of them ultimately ended up being completely destroyed. And uh, what a poignant story. The end of the story of Carthage, uh, which you know is over a thousand years in the making, with the emergence of the Phoenicians in Canaanite lands, uh, way back in the second millennium BCE, um, forward onto the uh, colonizing of North Africa, the establishment of the city of Carthage, the growth of Carthage into this major maritime trading entity in the Mediterranean, and then ultimately its demise uh, at the hands of this huge entity, the Romans, the Roman Republic, who were now to be feared across the entire world, um, not least of all because they defeated this highly respectable imperial movement, the Carthaginians. So, wonderful episode and a great story about Hannibal crossing the Alps with his elephants um really was good to visit that story and put it into context with everything that we've been talking about in the last few episodes now then, if you've been enjoying the project and you would like to support the project, then you'll be pleased to know that you can If you go to the history Podcast dot com website and click on the Patreon link, you can donate an amount of money each month to the upkeep of the podcast and it really really does help it makes a big difference it means that i can invest in resources such as books and enhance the information that's being produced within each podcast episode so just sign up there make a monthly donation you can do it for as little as one dollar a month it all adds up it all really does make a significant difference even though small pledges really significant once they're all added together so don't feel shy if if that's all you can afford if you do sign up and uh, you do make monthly contributions then you will forever be recognized as a member of the history of the world podcast illuminati and we have a new member this week and that gentleman is called tom mason thank you very much Tom, you are now a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. And remember, if you can't afford to make a financial contribution, which is the case for a lot of people at the moment, it's a very difficult time at the moment, and it's not always possible to support the project in the way that you might want to. However, just by simply rating and reviewing the podcast, you are really doing something great you're making a big difference and you're enabling us to expose the podcast to more people so that is equally as valuable as making a financial contribution so even one thing or the other it's great whatever you do to support the podcast is great and it's so gratefully received one such review has come in from chum loudon from the united states of america who's put love in it i've been waiting for something like this for a very long time uh well put together interesting and very informative thank you well also thank you chum loudon for taking the time to write that review now i must confess i'm absolutely useless at keeping up with my messages I, like they pop into boxes here there and everywhere in boxes outboxes, message boxes. Um, I often miss messages and a couple of people have sent me messages way back in May and I've only just discovered them now and I feel thoroughly ashamed of myself. I'm, I really don't know what I'm doing at all. Um, I do pick up the ones through the email and I have received um, some messages via email. Um, Tony Nunes emailed in but hello Chris thank you so much I've just discovered your podcast I've been interested in ancient Greek history for many years now and have extended my interest back to the Persian Empire Babylon Sumer the start of agriculture and back to where these people came from your podcasts are amazingly well informed and so well presented I am absolutely hooked brilliant thank you and best wishes Tony well thank you very much Tony yes um, it is interesting to speculate about this now. Uh, now that we're looking at ancient Greece and ancient Rome, um, I have heard people that are just like are in disbelief at how advanced these societies are. But when you consider that we had civilized citizens and cities uh, 2,000 years before the Romans and the Greeks, it, it stands to reason that these people would be quite advanced and intelligent. So um, we shouldn't be that surprised at all. Uh, Will Poindexter has uh, written in and put, uh, hello Mark, I'm I'm not sure who Mark is, but anyway, he's put, um, I love the podcast, I hope all is well and you're staying safe. I listen on Stitcher and have listened to almost every episode you have produced. I love the information and I'm a little sad that the new podcasts have not come through on Stitcher. The House of Vassa was the last one I've seen. Uh, love the show and thank you for your hard work, Will. Um, well, look, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Yes, we did switch podcast platforms um, around about a month ago now, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the places where you listen to the podcast, a lot of them have automatically updated to the new feed. Uh, but one place that I know hasn't was Stitcher. And so, as a consequence, what I've had to do, I've had to delete the entire podcast from Stitcher and recreate it again. Uh, but well, what that hopefully means is um, if you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, you'll just have to resubscribe to the new feed and then you should hopefully pick up all the episodes, including this one. So you'll have 108 episodes on Stitcher with a bit of luck and you'll be able to listen to them, listen to them to your heart's desire. But uh, apart from that, thanks ever so much for all the kind messages that you've sent to the podcast. Um, Really having fun writing the podcast, especially during this very eventful Roman period and these Carthaginian wars are are absolutely fascinating and we're not going to leave them behind just yet. Um, I think there are a couple of very important battles that deserve a bit more attention and uh, so next week on the podcast we're going to be looking at the Battle of Cannae which was the one where Hannibal um, had uh, ventured down into the Roman uh, lands in the Italian peninsula and um, this huge battle where the Romans really felt like they had to do something about this Carthaginian pest that had invaded their lands and had defeated their armies. ...time and time again and it all culminated in this huge battle at Cannae... ...and we're going to have a look at that next week. Uh, and then the week after, we're going to look at the uh, the North African uh, battle... ...the Battle of Zama which came at the conclusion of the Second Punic War. So a couple of real different dynamic perspectives... ...but we're going to be looking at Hannibal and we're going to be looking at Scipio, ...who I know a lot of people call him Scipio... Um, I'm just trying to stay true to the Latin pronunciation and, and call him Scipio So forgive me if that's annoying for you. But uh, I did the same with the Greeks, if you remember. I tried to stay true to the Greek pronunciation of a lot of names. But um, whatever I do is going to upset somebody. So, um, so I almost don't care in a way. <laughs> but as long as you're enjoying the stories, I think that's the main thing. But that's what we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks um, that's about it for this week it's been another long one we had to cram a lot in we had to sort of look at a lot of detail with the second Punic War so I'm going to wrap up now and uh, hopefully uh, see you again next week uh, have a safe week and don't forget to be good do you want more from the History of the World podcast then visit our website History. Of the World Podcast.com. You can join our discussion forum and find us on social media. Support the podcast for as little as $1 per month by clicking the Patreon link. Email the show at History of the World Podcast at mail.com. The best ones will be read out. Be sure to rate and review the show. Wherever you listen to us